Should pastors be drinking in public? Are the Ten Commandments still binding today? And do angels have free will? We look at some highlights of recent Pastor Perspective shows on this episode of The Unapologetic Show. Hello, Thinking Christians. Welcome to The Unapologetic Show, where we defend truth without compromise with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Before we get to our questions today, I wanted to remind you of two goals that we are hoping that you can help us reach. First, since the beginning of 2022, our videos have been watched nearly 300,000 times, and we have had nearly 60,000 downloads of our podcast. Now, we are hoping that you can help us reach 100,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. Please head on over to our YouTube channel and click on subscribe. Also, this show is only possible because generous people like you have joined our financial support team. We need to raise $25,000 by the end of 2022 to meet our budget this year. If you are willing to help us close that funding gap, please donate at oneminuteapologist.com slash form. Now let's jump into our first question regarding the Ten Commandments. Right. So right before the break, we were talking to Tony, who wanted to know if the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, were still binding. And we heard Tommy's answer. Before I throw it to Bobby, what did you think of what uh, Tommy said, Tony? I, no, I, I hear him. And um, anyway, I used to listen to a lot of Cave Wave and um, a lot of uh, Calvary uh, preachers. But I mean, I so I on the radio when I used to drive uh, between here and um, and Bakersfield. But I mean, I, I guess I'm. I believe in still keeping the Ten Commandments, and I, um, well, I guess one of the questions, you know, you had a lady call you one day, and her name was Michelle, and um, she asked about the. In, anyway, I believe in, the, in keeping the Sabbath, and uh, she she asked about the Sabbath and resting, and uh, one of the one of the verses that I came up with was Isaiah sixty six twenty three, um, and I don't know if you want to read it or should I read it. Well, if I can get to it super quick, uh, speed drill, here we go. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So when I read that, that t- I know that um, on that day they mentioned that, hey, it's not the Sabbath isn't, um, and like I'm not telling people, I'm not, I'm not here to tell people, hey, you should do this and whatnot. I just, what I read. And so what it tells me here is that, I know people want to, they throw, they like to cast the, the Ten Commandments or the Sabbath uh, that goes along with it. But it says here that you're going to keep the Sabbath in heaven. And I know that that was just my point. She was calling and I was just trying to make a point is that it says here that you're going to do it in heaven. And I'm just trying to, um, I'm not, I don't need somebody to convince me whether we are or not. I mean, I, I believe that we are, but I just wanted to point that out because I know like, um, I guess some people like to push it away. But the scripture, unless the scripture, unless I'm reading the scripture wrong. Okay, so what you're saying is because we're going to be uh, celebrate or keeping the Sabbath in heaven, we ought to be keeping it here on earth. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's be. Well, I, I'm not saying it. I'm saying the Ten Commandments says it. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, Bobby, what would you say to Tony? Well, I think in Isaiah 66, we're looking at eschatological rest. 
And so, I mean, that's like the rest of all rest. I mean, that's what heaven's going to be, right? Um, an eternal respite. You know, I think we're going to be purposed to do some things. Um, I guess on 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 one level, we're going to be in eternity. Uh, are we even going to be uh, using language like it's Wednesday, it's Thursday, it's Friday when we're in eternity? Um, so that's something uh, that is just worth pondering just as one thought. Uh, but in Colossians chapter two, I mean, it says, don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival or new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. Um, the reality is found in Christ. So we're told here that the reality of our rest, our shalom is in Christ who is our peace. Romans 14.5 tells us one man considers one day more sacred than another. Um, but it's saying each person should be convinced in his own mind. So it sounds like you're convinced in your own mind, uh, but I don't think that um, that's something that is mandated. Now, as it relates to the Ten Commandments, um, I think that the other commandments are reinforced in the New Testament, which makes them obligatory for us. But as it pertains to the Sabbath, it seems as if there, we're getting some freedom to recognize that the, that the Sabbath was a picture, and it's a picture of where we are going to find our ultimate rest, and that rest comes under a new covenant lifestyle that will be fully realized in a glorified state, hence Isaiah 66, the verse you're using to help bring the case you know to bear. I, 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 pre I appreciate it. You know, that, that same Colossians 2, um, uh, on, uh, on the date that Michelle called, you guys covered that too. But the one thing that was in there that I think sometimes people fail to read is it says there were a shadow, that it says they're, they're, they forget to read. Uh, it's a shadow, meaning my understanding that since the Ten Commandments was written by the finger of God, I don't think God said, hey, these are going to be shadows or things to come. I, that's my point is that people read, don't let any man judge you in food and drinks or Sabbath, but they forget to read that these were a shadow, meaning these were Sabbaths, like yearly Sabbaths, and not the Sabbath. But that was just my uh, thing. Hey, can I make one more quick comment? Wait, not yet. I want Bobby to respond to what you just said right now. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't quite understand what you're saying. Are you saying that the religious festival, the new moon celebration, and the Sabbath day are a shadow of the things that are to come. That if if you're saying that, that you're saying exactly what Colossians is saying. Um, it's a shadow of what's to come. In other words, they they pointed uh, the shadow pointed to the sunlight, Jesus Christ. So, in other words, too, like we we wouldn't say we need to keep new moon celebrations. Uh, at this time. Would you respond to that, Tony? My, my point, yeah, my point is, uh, uh, anyway, just my belief that I, I don't believe Colossians 2 is talking about the Sabbath. It says Sabbath and food and drink, which are shadows, meaning the Ten Commandments are not shadows. It's not that it's not covering the Fourth Commandment. But that's just, you know, that's what I, I'm reading. And Does that help you a little, well, Bob? Thanks for sharing, bro. All right, Tommy, any thoughts? Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. All right. Thanks for calling us today on Pastor's Perspective at 888-564-6173.
If you have questions for Bobby, the best way to get those answered is to call the pastor's perspective Tuesday through Thursday and put him in the hot seat. You can also watch the stream of that show on our YouTube channel. Now, our next question is about free will, Satan, and the angelic realm. Linda in California. Welcome to the program, Linda. Hi, guys. Hi. How are you? We're doing well. How are you? Good. I was listening to a pastor on K-Wave talking about um, angels that they don't have free will. But then how did the angels fall? How did the angels fall if they don't have free will? Or do angels have free will? Bobby, what would you say to Linda? Correct. Yeah. um, So I'm one of those guys that I, I don't see why we would have to say that angels don't have free will. I think that the fall shows that they had free will, uh, because otherwise, if they didn't have free will, what did they fall with? God's will? Uh, so they had to fall with a will. They're going to either fall on their will or with God's will, and certainly God uh, wasn't the one culpable for their moral failure, so they fell with their will. Uh, then uh, I would say uh, the argument would tend to be, well, those angels that haven't fallen, um, you know, that they don't have free will. Uh, but I would look at, um, you know, I would see something, and it, it, you know, there's not as much detail as we might like, but I would envision it something like this, that when the third of the angels fell freely, and I think that those fallen angels now, they still have free will to, to operate within a rebellious nature. Well, the angels that didn't fall, I think that they can freely act within their sealed nature. So I think before that fall, uh, the angels maybe weren't sealed, uh, and that became a decisive factor because we wouldn't be ready to say that other angels can fall now. So uh, it it seems as if if they can't fall, uh, I wouldn't look at it like, Uh, they don't have free will, they can freely act according to their sealed nature. So in heaven, we will be glorified. I still think we'll have free will in heaven, but I think that our free will will be in a glorified body. And so we'll have a sealed will, so to speak, so that it can freely operate. Now, uh, there's perhaps a hole that could be poked in what I'm saying. Uh, Free only so far because they can't fall angels or free only so far because in a glorified state in heaven, we can't fall. But I would say it's the same for God. God is not free to sin because his will is conformed to his holy nature, which makes it impossible for God to sin. And so I would say then, uh, when the angels chose not to rebel, and when we place our faith in Christ, we, like God, have free will in eternity, but it's a free will that will be impeccable throughout eternity. Brian, what would you add? Well, let me think of a few big words to... uh compete with Bobby's uh, <laughs> theological terms here, <laughs> and then I'll add something. No, that was good. Um, well, like and, impeccable not being able to sin. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yes. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, I, I think, you know, one way to think of it, too, maybe, is to think of, um, you know, 
I sometimes I think we don't think so much about this, but what is conversion anyway? What is what is salvation? What what is happening uh, on my part? Uh, I we say this, but I don't know that we really think it through. Don't we say that we are surrendering our will to God? That, I mean, that's that's what not my will, but your will be done. So we are giving up our will. We are surrendering our will to God. So when I receive Christ, I'm I've turned my will over to the will of the Lord. And I think that with the angels, apparently, there was in a sense like a, a probationary period and. Once that period passed, uh, some failed the probationary period, Satan, the devil, and those who followed him, and the others uh, passed the probationary period, and then that sealed them permanently. And and like you're saying, Bobby, I don't think it's a matter of, I don't have a free will now, gosh, I really want to do something, but I can't do it because God won't let me because I no longer have a free will your will, like you're saying, will ultimately be conformed to God's will. That's that's where everything is headed, right? Yes, that's that's exactly that's how I would see it. Like I, when we say, you know, your will be done, not my will. Yeah, I I I don't I don't see that as being something like we don't have any power. Right to make decisions. I mean, part of the part of the beauty in heaven, I would imagine, is um, it is going to be some of that freedom that we could exercise. Like I, I would picture that uh, we will we will know the joys of freely acting in a way that pleases Him. Mm-hmm. And if that was stripped away from us, then we would just be you know automatons in heaven. Yeah. And I think that our eternal experience would be much more than just to be robotic. I think that we'll know the joy of making decisions that don't have mm-hmm the consequences of guilt that we've experienced this side of heaven because mm-hmm. we didn't surrender our will to heaven. But I do think that our will will retain. It'll just be completely yeah. in a line with God's. And as I said, uh, you know, God has free will, but uh, like we, we have to be careful because sometimes Christians say, oh, God can do anything. Um, well, there's a lot of things that that God can't do. Now that sounds heretical because of the yeah. people that say God can do anything. Yeah. Um, I would say God can't sin. Um, God cannot become Brian Broderson mm-hmm. because God's God and God cannot become Bobby Conway yeah. and God cannot become a plant yeah. and God cannot not be God. And so, I mean, we can start coming up with all kinds of things yeah. that God can't do. And I'm glad he can't do those things. Yeah. And he, and he, and he, and he cannot lie. He he said of himself, he right. cannot lie. Yes, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think too. There's it, it. Almost just seems like the two extremes of determinism on the one side, and then just this this freedom on the other side that takes God completely out of the picture. It, the Bible doesn't yeah. teach either one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Linda, what do you think of all this? Is Linda there? She's taking it all in. Okay. Linda's here. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> what I heard was surrender our will seals our uh, nature and it equals joy. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a good conclusion. Did you like it? <laughs> did you like what you heard? <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you so much, you guys. Okay. 
Before we get to our final question today, I wanted to remind you that we are trying to reach 100,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel before the end of 2022 and close a funding gap of $25,000. We would greatly appreciate your help with either of those goals. Let's head to the last question. And Annette says, uh, today I had lunch with a few friends at a restaurant that is in a winery in the Temecula Valley. Uh, there was a popular lead pastor and his wife from one of the local Christian churches at the table uh, over. He was with three couples, one being another pastor on staff at his church, along with a young boy around eight years old. We watched as the group drank over seven bottles of wine, and then the pastor and several from his table proceeded to the private wine room for club members only. My question is, are pastors to be held to a higher accountability than others when they consume alcohol in a public or private setting. Uh, when I read Romans 14, 21, it seems clear that we should not drink as it may cause others to stumble. Uh, that being said, uh, wouldn't it be wrong for a pastor to drink in public, which may cause others to stumble around him? Dr. Bobby, what would you say? It sounds like that was an excessive amount of wine, seven bottles for three couples. So that would be problematic. Uh, and I would agree with that. Uh, in Romans chapter 14, uh, it does say it's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Uh, the question is, uh, will drinking cause your brother to stumble? I think some might make the argument it's better not to drink in public at all because you don't know uh, who might be seeing you there and they could stumble by that. And I think that there is some legitimacy to that. At the same token, I know uh, many pastors and leaders do drink publicly and they have thought through this issue. I think the seven bottles for six people is excessive. Uh, I do think that the Bible says the faith that you have in the following verse, uh, Romans 14, 22, keep between yourself and God. So in other words, if in your own conscience, you feel okay uh, drinking, not seven bottles of wine, uh, but if you feel okay drinking, um, it does seem like, hey, you know, sometimes it's okay to do something in private. So, for example, uh, um, we want to be vulnerable. We want to be transparent. But it almost seems like we have a little bit of license in a verse like this um, to realize that there are certain freedoms that we might have that other people might not have. And we don't have to go broadcasting our freedoms. Uh, now, as I wrap up, uh, and it relates to drinking in public. Uh, for me personally, if I was to go out and the pastor ordered a drink, it wouldn't bother me in the least. And I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, I think maybe when I was a new Christian, I would have been thrown off by that. But I could have been quickly educated out of that by understanding what the Bible has to say. So I think this is going to come down to a conscience thing. I do think we need to be aware of the settings that we're in. I think we need to avoid being flagrant in these type of ways. But if a husband and a wife, if they're on a vacation together, and they are able to drink in moderation, then I can see that. Lastly, I would say uh, we, we, we forget that uh, Jesus and the disciples and in and, and the ancient Greco-Roman culture would have drank wine. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of times where people want to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, but it was just one part alcohol, nine parts water. So it was so diluted down, it didn't make a difference. But then you look at Joseph and we think about his impeccable leadership and it talks about how merry he was with his brothers. And you see that type of language in other places like that they drank and they were merry. In other words, they were experiencing the happy effects of alcohol. Uh, 
yet without drunkenness. So I don't think it's as easy as just say you can't ever do it in public, but I don't think it's as easy as saying you just can do it in public whenever you want either. Yeah, good point. Good point. Thank you, Dr. Bobby. And thank you, Annette, for contacting us on Facebook.com forward slash Pastors Perspective. Uh, we're going to go to the calls now, and we're going to start with Paula in Long Beach. Paula, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Hi, sorry. My question is, in Leviticus 4, you have all of the sin offerings, a multitude of offerings. My question is, how do they decide on which animal, whether it be a male or a female, a boy or girl, or ox or bull, whatever? So this question is for Pastor John Wong, because he wasn't here the day I called. <laughs> all right. Very much. Okay, John, you're on. Well, I mean, that's what the book of Leviticus is there for. The word um, or the title Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. And so it's really a manual for those that were involved in the tabernacle services in terms of how offerings and sacrifices were to be not only offered, but also conducted. And I think one of the things that's really important for people to understand when they read the book of Leviticus is that all of these sacrifices and offerings that are there, um, they they served a purpose. And, you know, when we look at it prophetically, um, these sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice who would who would uh who was yet to come, and that was Jesus, the Lamb of God. But real time at that moment, these sacrifices was the means by which people could come into um, meeting God. And remember, this is one of the beautiful things about the biblical narrative. You know, when sin entered the world, there was separation between humans and God. And yet we see God initiating his rescue plan by promising the coming of the Messiah. And then one of the powerful moments in the story of the Bible is that it, on uh, in the book of Exodus, God comes down to a mountain on Mount Sinai, and he invites people to come and meet with him there. But the people were terrified, and they said, we don't want to come near it, so we'll have Moses go. And so what does God do? God comes down to their level in the presence of the tabernacle. So from heaven to a mountain, from a mountain to ground level in the tabernacle, but the problem is, is that people still couldn't come before God, and so God then provides means by which people could interact with him, and that was through the sacrifices in the priesthood. And so when you read these sacrifices and offerings in the Old Testament, God gives specific instructions in how they were to be carried out, which animals to be used, um, even so... Uh, uh, so much so that he even talks about which animals in the dedication and the ordination of the priesthood. And so that's why the book of Leviticus is so helpful, um, especially for the Levites, because God didn't leave it um, for the people to guess on how God wanted things done. He gave specific instructions related to which animal um, how many animals, which gender of animals, and how they were to be conducted. So so I would just encourage you to just think about that as you, um, you know, read through the book of Leviticus, because this was the manual for the Levites and how to conduct these offerings. All right. Paula, does that answer your question? It does. Thank you for that so much, because when I do read it, I didn't hear it until you just said it, that it's God telling them which animal— uh, to bring and how to do it. I don't know. When I read it, I just 
thought that they were picking it for themselves for some reason. Yeah. So when you read Leviticus, sometimes you'll see God talk about goats, sometimes lambs, sometimes rams and oxen, and and sometimes they're grain offerings and meal offerings. And so all of those instructions are detailed in the book of Leviticus. Well, thank you for checking out this episode of The Unapologetic Show. We will meet you next time as we continue to defend truth without compromise. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.